Here's a story for you. In 1840, an angsty young man broke off an engagement with the love of his life because, it's said, he was unable to reconcile the idea of marriage with his own introspective and melancholic nature. That man was the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard. Now, I'm mispronouncing it. I think it's something like Kierkegaard, but I first studied him in Sicily, where he was pronounced Kierkegaard, so that's how I'm going to say it. He was born today in 1813, and he's widely considered the father of existentialism. And given the ethical dilemma about his marriage I just mentioned, it's no surprise that his most famous work is entitled Either Or. Now, there's philosophers whose work has the aim of, oh, let's try to describe reality as it is. Let's explain the world, what it's really like and how we should live in it. Kierkegaard is a different kind of philosopher altogether. He's the guy who says, you're all doing it wrong. We all have this notion of order, that life has purpose and of our place in the universe, but Kierkegaard wants us to open our eyes and awake from all the bullshit illusions we believe in as being a part of life. In a way, Kierkegaard is like a more bitter version of Socrates. Remember how Socrates was saying, we're all fools and the only reason I'm less of a fool is because I know I'm a fool. And philosophy isn't about building up some universal system of existence, it's actually about tearing down all our certainties. Kierkegaard saw that we all live inside these certainties and these fabricated meanings we create for ourselves. Faith in our loved ones or, okay, I have to study and now I have to get a job and now I have to get married and now I have to have a kid and now there's a mortgage and it's just a series of hoops we jump through to be able to stick this label on of I am content. Because that's what the rule book says, right? That's what happiness is according to the manual. Kierkegaard says bullshit. Nobody's content, because being absolutely content, even for a very short period of time, is impossible. Look at his own engagement. Take his attitude to love. He says you can never have a complete love because you can never reconcile passion and sex and romance with marriage and routine and stability and children. How could you ever have all these things at the same time? Because at any given point, you'll be missing out on some of them. The human condition is made up of all these painful contradictions and these terrifyingly difficult choices we have to make and that horrible and dreadful knowledge that we are ill-equipped to make any of these choices and whatever we do, we'll regret all of them. That condition that's deep-seated in all of us, having a great freedom of choice but also being paralyzed by it, is what he called angst, a word he was the first to introduce, a little trivia there for you. But if that's what life is, this meaningless chaos where we're just faced with infinite choices but our own inability to ever know what's the right choice, what's the solution? Well, Kierkegaard didn't really have any. He never came up with a system of philosophy on how to live, because imposing that kind of structure over chaos would be impossible and he knew that. So instead he came up with two separate ideas. One is more like a tactical response to deal with all the meaninglessness of life, and it's laughter. Laugh in the face of life as an act of defiance. And those of you who are into Zen might be reminded of the idea of uh, existence as this cosmic joke. The other solution, which some of you might find disappointing, is what he called the leap of faith 
another phrase he came up with. In all this meaninglessness, switch off your rational side and just accept Jesus into your life. And then you'll at least have some way to deal with the awful despair of existence. As Kierkegaard put it, lose your mind and win God. We're talking about Kierkegaard today and uh, I'm going to read you a famous quote by him which really exemplifies his idea of angst and anxiety. This condition of being beset on all sides by so many choices but being ultimately ill-equipped to ever make the right one because we are structured on a very basic level to be incapable of being satisfied. Marry and you will regret it. Don't marry you will also regret it. Marry or don't marry, you will regret it either way. Laugh at the world's foolishness, you will regret it. Weep over it, you will regret that too. Laugh at the world's foolishness or weep over it, you will regret both. Believe a woman, you will regret it. Believe her not, you will also regret it. Whether you believe a woman or believe her not, you will regret both. Hang yourself, you will regret it. Do not hang yourself, and you will regret that too. Hang yourself or don't hang yourself, you'll regret it either way. Whether you hang yourself or do not hang yourself, you will regret both. This, gentlemen, is the essence of all philosophy. What do you make of that? Is regret a fundamental aspect of life? Or is Kierkegaard just projecting his own depressive outlook onto the rest of us? Or is this just a fancy way of saying that the grass is always greener? What do you think? Whatever the case, this is just one of many quotes which shed light on Kierkegaard's gloomy outlook and the reasons why he might have chosen to abandon the woman he loved and who loved him for reasons that still appear unclear to us. But what about you? Have you ever been faced with a clear choice between two paths, consciously taken one of them, only to then be beset by regret that you picked the wrong one? Personally, I face hard choices every day, just like him, just like you, and just like everybody else. And one of the main factors for me is choosing based on what might leave me fewer regrets in the future. And usually doing gives you fewer regrets than not doing. I know that I quit my job because I thought I didn't want to end up being 60 and regretting that I didn't follow my dreams. And this way I know that that will never happen, even if I fail. So choosing based on what will give you fewer regrets kind of works for me. And I've always found that there's comfort in choosing knowingly, of owning the choices you make. Even if they're wrong, you think long and hard and you meditate on it and, and then you choose. And if you do that, you know that that's really the best you could have done in the situation. And if you knew that you did your best, where's the regret there? I'm going to read you my favorite quote by the philosopher Søren Kierkegaard. It's about the shallowness of the lives we lead and the way we find meaning in this chaos that surrounds us but also about the importance of humor in being able to find an angle through which to view life and somehow maintain our sanity. 
It's a quote that resonates with me, and if you're somebody who's thought about what does all this mean, what's all this crap I put myself through, I think you'll like it too. Here we go. I opened my eyes and beheld reality, at which I began to laugh, and since then, I have not stopped laughing. I saw that the meaning of life was to secure a livelihood, and that its goal was to attain a high position, that love's rich dream was marriage with an heiress, that friendship's blessing was help in financial difficulties, that wisdom was what the majority assumed it to be, that passion consisted in making a speech, that courage was to risk the loss of $10, that kindness consisted in saying, you're welcome at the dinner table, that piety consisted in going to communion once a year. This I saw and I laughed. This is me now saying, this is fantastic. Now this is the reason I quit my career in banking law, because of how meaningless it all felt, just following the carrot all our lives, this treadmill, jumping through hoops because somewhere there's a guidebook that tells us this is what life is all about. Oh, you need your car, you need your picket fence, say hi to the neighbors, go to village meetings, and that's what it is to have a good life. But Kierkegaard is saying this is all just shallow, meaningless rituals that we're paying so much attention to. There's no substance to any of it. It's all bullshit. Life is chaos and we build these little structures to give us a sense of security so we don't all go mad in the endless quantum uncertainty of it all. But so what's the answer? And for him in this case, it's to laugh defiantly in the face of life's cruelty and meaninglessness. In the face of existential despair, laughter is the only way not to be affected too much. Now I love this for a billion reasons, and one is because it reminds me of Zen, one of my favorite philosophies, with this um, wry acceptance of existence as a cosmic joke. Nothing means anything, so why worry? Second, because it speaks to my deep-seated Jewish nature, and Jewish humor is all about laughing at our own incessant suffering, and at our personal insecurities, and the instability both in our lives and within ourselves. Life is absurd and we are ridiculous, so uh, what are you going to do? And also because it highlights the importance of humor in dealing with our demons. Because instead of giving power to those demons and to the things that scare us by avoiding the topic or treating them as taboos, as though we had blasphemy laws in place about stuff like race or genders or sexuality, no, just laugh at them, defang them. If a monster comes at you, laugh at it, and you'll see it's no longer a monster. It's just a whimpering slug. Same as me, and same as everyone else. And this is really important, I think. We don't do enough of this. We're, we're so caught up in taking ourselves and everything else really seriously. So how about you give it a try? The next time something comes around that upsets you, have a laugh about it. About how ridiculous it is, and how ludicrous your own reaction is. There, we can all find a hidden power within us that can really affect the way we deal with life's vicissitudes. Hey Patrick, I'm calling in regarding your segment about regrets. You know, personally, I don't remember regretting about something in a long while. Um, I just don't really see the point. Just like you and everyone else, <clears throat> I make choices every day or every week 
and some of them are easy, some of them are not. But unlike those people who spend a while trying to evaluate which one is going to bring less regret or benefit more, I just go for what feels right. And even when my choice based on this rightness thing eventually brings pain and destruction sometimes, I still don't regret it because it also brings experience. And I also believe in this parallel reality thing where I know that in some other scenario, other Lola, which is also me, would choose differently and her life would be different. And that's cool. I let that parallel Lola to experience the consequences of the other option she went for. And I just go for what I go for. And I'm sort of okay with that. And this is probably why I don't really have any regrets. Well, most of the time. Hey Lola, thanks for the call and good to hear from you. So uh, what can I say? You're probably luckier than me then or just better at this because yes, I get a gut feeling as well and when I get a very strong gut feeling one way or the other, I choose that way as well and I don't think that there's any point in regretting choices made on the basis of a strong gut feeling, what feels right as you put it. But on the other hand, there's so many choices where you don't get such a strong gut feeling or where you might get a gut feeling, but it's unclear to you whether that gut feeling is because it feels right or because it's what you prefer, but it still might be the wrong choice. You know, sometimes it gets muddled up what feels right or whether it's just bias, you know. I'm in the middle of one of those life choices where I think I know the right uh, decision, but it's very hard for me to, to be 100% sure that that feeling of rightness isn't just because that's what I prefer. You know, so um, and and obviously in big life choices, what you prefer isn't, at least I think, isn't the only factor that matters. What um, the potential outcome is also a very important factor. And in that respect, I think sometimes that regret logic thinking, what am I least likely to regret in the long run can also be a valuable way of making a good decision. But what can I say when you've got a strong gut feeling? Definitely go with that.